Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know what's happening in this episode. This week, our speaker is Craig Somerville, our pastor of Care Ministries, and he's finishing up our series, Moses the Hesitant Leader. It is also our commissioning weekend where we pray and commission each of us who are called on mission to build the kingdom wherever we are, wherever we have been uniquely positioned. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, church. It's good to be together. Whether you're here in person or online, we're, uh, we're glad to be together. Glad to be together to worship, to pray, to celebrate Spencer and his ordination. And fun fact, 20 years ago, Sam and I were ordained together at Foothills Alliance Church. And I know you're all thinking, wow, you're the same age as Sam. He looks so much older than you. How is that possible? But yeah, 20 years ago. But Spencer, we are so excited for you and uh, proud of you and all the work you've put in to get to this point. Uh, and it's good to be together. We're going to open God's word. We're going to hear from him. We're going to come to the communion table and celebrate the high point of our gathering together. And then something even more special that we're going to do today. It's an annual tradition here at Southview to commission you the people, the church body. And so we're going to pray for you at the end of this service, much like we just prayed for Spencer. We're going to commission all of you to go out and live on mission for Jesus. And if you're a leader among us here today, I'd invite you to participate with us when it comes time for that. Uh, We'd encourage you to just step out into the aisle and we're going to lift our hands over the, the congregation. And so if you're a leader among us, please join in the aisles by doing that as we pray for uh, one another today. So that's all still to come. But first, we're going to wrap up our series that we're in, uh, Moses, the Hesitant Prophet. And... um So we're going to uh, draw it to a close, and as we do that, we've been looking at Moses for the last few weeks, uh, most of the month of August, and then I realized that the calendar actually turned, and we're now in September, Uh, even though the weather doesn't feel like it. We are in September, and sometimes September sort of turns our attention to fall, and we might sort of start to say goodbye to the summer, even though there's a couple weeks left officially of the summer season. But maybe you found yourself uh, connecting with one another, even today, I think I asked the question of some somebody, you know, what was the highlight of your summer? And, uh, and so you might share stories of some of the cool things that you've done over the summer. And as you ask that question and sort of interact about the high highlights or high points of the summer, it kind of makes me realize that often in life we categorize our lives into two categories, kind of the high points 
and the low points, right? And maybe you would answer that question, I don't really have a highlight this summer, it's just been a very difficult one, and maybe you're in a low point. We can think of many who have been suffering uh, around us uh, due to the fires and evacuations and things like that, and so maybe you're more in the category of the lows. But often in life, we, uh, we have these two categories of highs and lows. And another way we might talk about those categories might be metaphorically talking about mountains and valleys. And the high points are like the mountaintop experiences, and the low points maybe is like living in the valley. Or maybe the valley is just sort of the the mundane, the routine, the every day after day, the rhythms and routines of life, and that's kind of what life in the valley is like. And we look forward to those mountaintop experiences that we have. Sometimes the mountaintops provide clarity for us, maybe a fresh vision or fresh, fresh perspective for what we're going through in the valleys. And so it is important to have mountaintop experiences in the midst of our journey. As I think about clarity on the mountaintop, uh, I'm reminded of one of the high points of my summer. Uh, Our family went away to the Okanagan. I think I shared that last time I was teaching that we like to go to the Okanagan every summer. We managed to get out there uh, before the fires hit. We actually were staying in West Kelowna. And here's a picture of Tammy and I. Uh, Every morning we would get up and take a little hike. Uh, We were staying at an Airbnb right across the street from uh, Rose Valley Regional Park. And there's all kinds of trails in this park. And so we would get up early because it's hot in the Okanagan and you don't like to hike later in the day. So we'd get up early and take our dog Archie for a walk and we'd do these trails. And we realized that the trails would go up the mountain. I'll use that term loosely because in the Okanagan, there's not really mountains compared to what we have here. But for... For argument's sake, uh, these Okanagan mountains, we realized that there was trails that could take us right up to the top. And so it was our goal by the end of the week, let's get up early enough so that we don't die of heat exhaustion to make it up to the top of this mountain and see what there is to see up there. And so on the very last day of our vacation, this next picture shows the site that we were able to see at the top of this mountain. And it doesn't really do justice, but as you look across, that's looking from West Kelowna across the Lake Okanagan to downtown Kelowna. Just this beautiful view, and it was a blue sky, the sun was shining, that was about 7 or 7.30 in the morning, and uh, just this beautiful, beautiful view. And the clarity, the, the clarity of that view gave us a bit of perspective for the valley that we were going to find ourselves a few hours later, we would find ourselves in the valley of packing up the vehicle, saying goodbye to the place that we'd been staying and enjoying as a family, and then driving seven or eight hours back to Okotoks with a dog in the trunk that you had to stop every so often so that he could pee, right? So just that was the valley that we'd be going through, but that mountaintop experience helped get us through, and just the vision, the clarity of it. And clarity is really important. Uh, This week I hit a milestone in my journey where I had to pull out my iPhone and go to the settings and I had to increase the size of the font on my phone because I'm getting to an age that I can't always see what's written on my phone and it's hard to see those text messages. And then I remembered, oh yeah, I can actually increase the size of the font and now I can actually see. Clarity is really important because I can see, you know, oh, that's actually what I said in that text message. I didn't see how autocorrect filled that in. Clarity is important, and sometimes we get clarity on the top of a mountain. And so today, we're going to wrap up our series, uh, our Moses series, on another mountaintop experience. And I want to just, before we get there, just invite you. I don't know what the circumstances of your life are. 
my hunch is most of us are probably going through some sort of valley type experience because mountaintops tend to be few and far between. And so if you're in a valley type of experience, and maybe it's just the regular rhythms and routines of life, the reality that school's getting back into session, you know, and that's coming, maybe that increases some anxiety on your end, I don't know. Maybe there's something bigger going on in your life that you would describe as a low point, a really low place that you're in this valley. And if that's where you're at today, I want to invite you as we open God's word to sort of climb a mountain with me in the hopes that we'll get some perspective and some clarity on what's going on in the valley. And as we have this mountaintop experience, it will influence and impact the reality of what we find ourselves in. So would you join me in climbing this mountain? And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 9. And you're thinking, Luke chapter 9, what does that have to do with Moses? I thought he was in the Old Testament. That's kind of what I thought when Clyde set up this whole preaching passage. It was like one of his last things, you know, ha, 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 I'm going to have fun. I'm going to make Craig preach the Transfiguration passage in the end of the Moses series. What's that all about? Well, hopefully we'll find out soon. But we're going to climb this mountain, this Mount of Transfiguration, where we find uh, Jesus and a few of his disciples. And Moses actually does show up in this passage. And we'll talk about some of the, the, uh, the parallels between Moses and Jesus. But really, this mountaintop experience is going to invite us to see Jesus a little more clearly today. So... Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read uh, verses 28 to 36. And as I read, remember, friends, this is the word of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In brackets, he did not know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Let's just pause and invite Jesus to speak to us from his word today. And so, Jesus, as we do open your word, we do believe this is your word to us. And so we invite you by your Holy Spirit to open our ears, to hear your word clearly, open our hearts to receive from you today, and open our will, soften our will to be responsive to your word. May your word come alive to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage, I want to talk just first about the journey from Moses to Jesus. How do we get from Moses to Jesus in this passage? And I mentioned there's some parallels that we see. So I'm just going to mention, uh, just kind of go through a quick list of some of the parallels that we saw and heard about from the Moses story over the last few weeks 
and they show up here in this transfiguration passage. So one of the things we see right off the bat is that Jesus took a few of his disciples up a mountain. And it's on this mountaintop that they have this powerful encounter with the living God. And in a similar way, Moses had a couple of those encounters as well when he climbed a mountain. First with the burning bush on Mount Horeb, right, where God spoke. And then later, Mount Sinai, probably the same mountain, where again, he experienced God and received the law and took it down to the people. And so a mountain was an important part of Moses' journey, and it's where we find ourselves today. There's also this uh, sense of a glow. The transfiguration that took place in Jesus, uh, through Jesus that day, reminds us of sort of the glow that Moses had when he spent time with God. And uh, again, even last week, we, we heard about how Moses, after spending time with God, his face glowed. It's like he reflected God's glory. And so this idea of a glow or the glory of God being uh, manifest and, and made known uh, through these stories. In this passage here, this transfiguration passage, we'll talk about uh, the departure. It says that Jesus and Moses and Elijah are talking about Jesus' departure. That word departure is actually exodus. And so Moses, the Moses story is from the book of Exodus, and it's about the exit of God's people out of Egypt, out of the slavery and oppression under Pharaoh. And so there's these parallels here. Another one is the cloud that we see in this mountain where uh, God shows up in the form of a cloud. And similarly, in Moses' journey, in his story, God's presence was made known through the form of a cloud. And then God's voice. We're going to hear God's voice in this passage. And Moses is known as a prophet who spoke with God face to face. He heard God's voice regularly. So there's all these parallels between Moses and Jesus. And you could say uh, that Moses is a type of Christ pointing us to the one true, the one uh, prophet sent by God, the, the one and only son of God, Jesus. Moses was sort of a foreshadow of Jesus who would come, much like many of the other characters in the Old Testament, the leaders and figures in the Old Testament are types of Christ. They point us to Christ. And that's kind of what we see in this passage is this transfiguration passage is just like an exclamation mark on the fact that Moses is pointing us to Jesus. So let's dive into this passage and look for the things that uh, become clear as we climb this mountaintop with Jesus. So the first thing I want to point out is that this mountaintop experience gives us clarity about the person of Jesus. Clarity about the person of Jesus. And let me just uh, highlight a couple things here. In verse 28, the beginning of the passage, it says, About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And so there's a time marker in this event. Eight days after Jesus said these things to his disciples. Well, what were the things that Jesus said to them? If you were to backtrack a few verses earlier, there's this whole conversation about the identity of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, Who do the crowds say I am? And they have some comments. Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, you know, some say one of the prophets of long ago. There's this sort of debate about who Jesus is. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And there's this question that's sort of lingering. Who is Jesus really? And this passage is going to bring some clarity about the truth of who Jesus is, clarity about the person of Jesus. And so in the very next verse, verse 29, it says that as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And I tried to wear the brightest shirt I could today to just illustrate bright white, you know, this isn't quite what it would have looked like 
Fernando thought this shirt would have done it justice, but I don't think it did. So anyways, Jesus, he was transfigured. His, his form changed, his face changed, his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And I mentioned this earlier, this idea of a glow. The glory of God is being revealed to Jesus' disciples that day. Much like when Moses reflected the glory of God, except the difference here is that this was an internal transformation in Jesus, that from the inside out, this glow was happening, showing maybe to his disciples that he's a little bit different than Moses because he wasn't just reflecting God's glory, but God's glory was actually being shown through him. He was a different kind of prophet, a different kind of leader. He was greater than Moses. Then Moses and Elijah actually show up, right? Verse 30, two men. Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And so if you're in the disciples' shoes, you're looking at all this going like, what in the world is going on? Jesus is glowing. Moses is here. Elijah's here. Like, what is happening? And it's all leading us back to this question, you know, who do you say I am? Who do the crowds say I am? Jesus' hope is on this mountaintop experience that the disciples will get clarity about who he is. So it's still coming. Verse 33, it says that as the men were leaving, so as Moses and Elijah were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then it says Peter didn't know what in the world he was talking about. Peter was just really excited. And if we think about what, what this is getting at, you know, he talks about three shelters, maybe like three tents, like the tent of meeting where Moses used to meet with God, these special places that would contain God's presence. His presence would come down in the form of a cloud and Moses would meet with him there. And so maybe Peter's thinking like, we need to hold on to this moment. We need three shelters. And maybe he wasn't quite cluing in that Jesus was on a different level than Moses and Elijah. He was thinking about three shelters to put them in, to contain God's presence and the holiness of this moment. But then look at what happens next. So while Peter's saying this, while he doesn't know what he's talking about, a cloud appeared. This is the presence of God. A cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. It's like God himself steps in to this holy moment and just brings ultimate clarity to the question. You're all wondering who this Jesus is. Is he a prophet? Is he Elijah come back? Is he John the Baptist come back? No. This is my son whom I have chosen. And that word chosen is like a, another way of saying my Messiah, the one that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to. This is him. This is the one, the chosen one, the Messiah who's come. And then he says, listen to him. And so we, as we're on this mountaintop, gaining some clarity about the person of Jesus, we recognize that Ju Jesus truly is distinct. He's unique. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the name above all names. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And the disciples that day were really being confronted with the reality that this Jesus that we've been following around is a very different guy than maybe we first thought he was. He's God's chosen one. He stands out. He truly is above all prophets of the past, prophets to come. He is the son of God. He's divine. He's God in flesh. And they're starting to realize this. And as I think about the disciples that day on the mountain, I wonder if I was there, what I'd be thinking and would I be seeing Jesus as clearly as they were. And even today in the valleys that we might find ourselves in, 
Are we able to see Jesus for who he truly is? As the unique son of God, the ultimate authority, the name, of, the name above all names, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And if we see him that way, does he actually hold that position in our lives? We live in a world with all kinds of influences. You know, we grow up in families and we're influenced by parents or siblings, you know, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, nieces, nephews. We might be influenced by family. We have friends in our lives that maybe influence us. We are on social media that maybe influences us. We have leaders in politics and, and other aspects of, of the world in which we live. All these voices that we hear and the news and all this kind of stuff. There's influences all around us. But Jesus is the influencer above all influencers. Does he stand out in your life? Does he hold that position of being the unique son of God, the name above all names, the king of kings, the Lord of lords? Have you put him there in your life? So that's the first thing we see some clarity on is clarity about the person of Jesus. And the second thing that I want to draw out of this passage is clarity about the mission of Jesus. Clarity about the mission of Jesus. If we look back to this conversation that Jesus is having with Moses and Elijah and the disciples are sort of these onlookers sort of listening in, it says that uh, in verse 31, they spoke about his departure, Jesus' departure. They spoke about his departure, which was about to bring which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And I mentioned earlier that word departure also is from the word exodus. They're kind of interchangeable words. They're talking about Jesus' exodus, the fact that he had to now exit. And what was that all about? Well, that word, before we jump into the, the, the Jesus' mission related to that word, it does echo back to the Moses story. That Moses was a part of leading God's people out of Egypt, right? Out of oppression and slavery, out of uh, oppression under King Pharaoh. And so Moses led the people out. It's a story of deliverance from slavery to freedom. And as we think about that Moses story and think about the parallels to Jesus, there must be something about deliverance happening. There must be something about being freed from slavery, something to that effect well, if we went back a few verses in the conversation I mentioned earlier that Jesus was having with his disciples, look at what he said to them in chapter 9, verse 22. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That was the departure that Jesus was talking about with Moses and Elijah. The fact that he was going to die on a cross and then three days later be raised to life and then after that ascend to heaven. He was literally, literally going to leave this earth. He was going, going to depart. And what was that all about? Well, if we flip back a little bit earlier in the book of Luke, in chapter 4, verses uh, 18 and 19, there was a day where Jesus was in the synagogue and the reading that day, Jesus, I don't know if he volunteered for the reading or if he was assigned the reading, but he gets up and he reads this passage from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sat down, rolled up the scroll, and announced to everybody, today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Basically, what he was saying is, those words are words about me, Jesus said. 
And so he was acknowledging that the spirit of the Lord was on him to anoint, uh, to proclaim good news to the poor and to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And, and then this idea of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is a reference to the year of Jubilee, where every 50 years, the people in Israel were supposed to sort of reset community life. In the 50th year, slaves were to be set free, debts were to be forgiven, land was to be given back. Everything was supposed to go back to uh, sort of ground zero. And so if debts were accumulated, they were now gone. And if slaves were uh, under a master, they were now released to be free. And all of these things were happening in the year of Jubilee. And so Jesus, when he's referencing this idea of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, he's talking about this divine reset that he came to accomplish basically to take us back to the garden in Genesis where God created us to have relationship with him and this peace between humanity and God and peace between humanity and one another. And that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. And so Jesus, his mission is to get us back to the garden as we preached through Revelation last fall. The very end of Revelation, we're back in the garden again to have life that is flourishing and and life that is good and where there's no slavery, there's no tears, there's no pain. All of this is being sort of reset back to the way God intended it to be. Jesus came to bring life. He came to set captives free. He came to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his beautiful kingdom of light. That was his mission. Again, wherever you're at in the valleys of life you might find yourselves in, are you having a taste of the the life that Jesus came to give you? Are you having a taste of being set free from the things that maybe have held you captive in the past? And the taste of what we get is just a taste of what's to come for all eternity. Life in the garden, beautiful relationship between us and God. So we have clarity about the person of Jesus Clarity about the mission of Jesus, and I want to just close with this idea of clarity about our response to Jesus. As we're on this mountaintop, maybe kind of identifying with the disciples, how do we respond to all of this? We've been confronted with the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. How do we respond? So two things I just want to draw out by way of response, and they just come right out of this passage. If I can find the passage again. So right out of this passage, when God shows up in the, in the cloud and he starts speaking to them, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen, listen to him. Our response is to listen to Jesus. God's telling the disciples that day to listen to Jesus because he is unique. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah, the promised one. Listen to him. And so I think that's a general instruction that as followers of Jesus, we should be listening to Jesus. But in the context of this passage, what was Jesus saying that God's instructing these disciples to listen to? Well, if we go back again to the conversation that happened eight days prior to them climbing up this mountain, Jesus is talking to the disciples, asking them, you know, who do you say I am? He talks about how he's got to suffer and die and then be raised to life. And then in verse 23, he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
God's inviting these disciples to listen to Jesus about what it means to follow Jesus. It's a journey of picking up your cross daily. It's a journey of laying down your life. It's a journey that's maybe often found in the valleys of life. But it's in the valleys where we learn obedience. And as we listen to Jesus, as we follow him, as we lay down our lives and submit to him, the promise is that he will give us life in return. And so it's an invitation to surrender to Jesus, to submit to him, and maybe sometimes even to suffer for him. To live in the valleys and to follow his example of picking up our cross and following him. Now, that's not a super encouraging word to end on. So let's look at one other response. This is an important one, to listen to Jesus and follow him. But what's the, how do we, kind of what's the motivation or what's the strength we need in order to live that kind of life? So the other thing I want to draw out is back in 30, verse 32. So Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. They're having this whole event, you know, this transfiguration, this bright white shirt and all that kind of stuff. And it says in verse 32, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And this is not the first time the disciples would be accused of being sleepy. A little bit later in the Jesus story, the night before he goes to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and invites a few of his disciples to come and pray for him. Three times he goes back and he finds that they've fallen asleep. I don't know what's with these disciples always falling asleep, but it makes me think about my life. And sometimes I can be a little bit sleepy as well. Spiritually sleepy, spiritually drowsy, not fully awake. And so I think another response we need to consider out of this passage is to be alert to be spiritually alert, to be on the lookout for Jesus because he's always present with us. And as we're daily picking up our cross and following him and living in the valleys of life, his desire is to make himself known, sometimes in mountaintop kind of experiences. And we need to be on the lookout for when Jesus wants to reveal himself in some new and special way. We need to be on the lookout for some word that he has for us or some empowerment that he wants to give us. But if we're constantly spiritually drowsy, we're never going to see what Jesus wants to do. So what are the things in your life that distract you from Jesus? What are the things in your life that maybe cause you to be sleepy, drowsy, not spiritually awake or alert? I think we need to identify some of those things and, and uh, invite Jesus into those things and allow him to keep us on alert and help him to, or allow him to help us stay awake so that we can, we can see what he's up to in our lives. I want to bring this to a close, uh, but just to quickly recap again on this mountaintop experience, as I've invited you up to the mountain, we've gained some clarity about who Jesus is. He's unique. He stands out above all other influencers. He's the influencer of all influencers, and, and, and that's the position he has. He's the Son of God, the Chosen One, the Messiah. We have some clarity about who he is. We have some clarity about his mission to set captives free, to, to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his beautiful kingdom of light, to bring life, to take us back to the garden. That's his mission. And our response, a couple of options might be to listen and to follow him in obedience, you know, daily picking up our cross, laying down our lives in order that we might find life in him, or being alert, being awake, on the lookout for him. And so as we bring this to a close, I want to invite you to just close your eyes. I'm just going to ask two questions that we often ask here at Southview. 
few questions as we consider all of what was in this passage. And the first question is this, Jesus, what are you speaking to me about? And so close your eyes and ask him that question. In light of all of this, in light of this passage we've gone through, this transfiguration event, Jesus, what are you speaking to me about? What are you trying to remind me of today? And as some things might come to mind that Jesus is speaking to you about, a second question would be, Jesus, what are you asking me to do about this or about these things? These things you're reminding me of, is there some sort of action I need to take? What are you asking me to do about it? And then invite Jesus to lead you in those things and to strengthen you for those tasks. And so, Jesus, we do pray that you would be speaking to us even in these moments. Help us to walk away from here with maybe something that we need to be reminded of and maybe some step that we need to take in response to what you're showing us today or what you're speaking to us about. I pray by your Holy Spirit again that your word would come alive in our lives, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will soft enough to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so now we're going to come to the high point of our gathering. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to come to the communion table. And it's appropriate, again, I actually was thinking about this, the idea that this table is almost like a regular mountaintop experience that we get to participate in. That every time we come to the table, we're reminded of Jesus' body that was broken for you and me. And we're reminded of his blood, which was shed for forgiveness of sin and a welcome into the family of God. And so every time we come to this table, no matter what we're going through in life, we're reminded of the Jesus story. And this table is an invitation to receive from him him as well, to know that we need his strength to live in the valleys of life. We need his strength to pick up our cross and follow him. And so friends, I just invite you to peel back the first layer of Uh, your cup if you haven't done so already and pull out that wafer and as we consider this table as again sort of a mountaintop experience we come to the table and we pray father would you feed us today we know that we need your strength your sustenance we need spiritual food for the spiritual realities of the world in which we live and for the lives that you're calling us to. And so we invite you to feed us. And so would you do so? And so friends, as we take this bread, be be reminded that this represents Jesus' body, which is broken for you and me. Let's take together. And then if you would peel back the second layer to get to the cup, This cup represents Jesus' blood, which was shed for you and I, for forgiveness of sins and a welcome into the family of God. Let's take together. And now, another 
high point of our year, the commissioning service. And so I'm going to invite you, if you are a leader among us, just to come step out into the aisles. And uh, in a moment, we're going to pray over our church family. So if you feel compelled to join us in that way, we would invite you to do that. Just come and sort of fill some spaces in the aisles. And in a moment, we'll uh, lay, uh, stretch out our hands over our church body. And friends, I just want to remind you, just like we prayed for Spencer earlier, a commissioning type prayer. You might not have done all the work and the papers and gone through the interview that Spencer went through, but each one of you has been called by God. And you've been uniquely positioned by him in your family or on your streets or in your workplace or at your school, wherever you would find yourself, God has put you there on purpose. And he has plans and purposes in mind for you. And so I just want to remind you that you have been uniquely positioned by him wherever you find yourself. And wherever you are, there are people in your life that God is calling you to reach out to with the love and the hope and the good news of Jesus. And so we are all invited to live on mission with Jesus and for Jesus for his purposes in this world. And so, I want to pray for you. And so, I just invite you, invite you leaders, just stretch out your hands over our people. Maybe just turn over the, uh, lean over the people around you. And let me just pray. And so, Father God, we thank you that you've called, first of all, each one of us into relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And for those of us who have received Jesus, you've given us the right to become children of God. That is who we are. And so, Father, I pray for your sons and daughters here today. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit because you've placed us uniquely on purpose in schools, on streets, in workplaces, on sports teams, in families. You've placed us in all kinds of places, and there are people all around us who need to hear about the love and the good news of you, Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Give us everything we need for the lives you've called us to live, for the task you've called us to, to live on mission with you. Fill us with your goodness. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your courage and boldness. Fill us with your peace and your presence and your power that we might live lives on purpose, on mission for you. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite all of us to stand, and we'll have a word of benediction. And just before that, a reminder, uh, there are some, some snacks to celebrate Spencer, so make sure you, uh, you say hi to him and congratulate him. And there's time to just spend with one another connecting, so feel free to do that. And uh, as we go from here, let me just speak this word of benediction again over us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.